Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. How well do you understand the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans? If you're like most people, the answer is not too well. In today's podcast and post, we begin a new series examining the book of Romans. And while this may seem like a daunting task laden with layers of theological complexity, the odd assumption only means that we've bought in to fundamentalism's propaganda. Join me now as we rediscover Romans without 2,000 years of church history spackled on top of it. We'll learn that this letter was intended to get everyone out of religion, not lock us into one. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am so glad to have you here. Welcome to this program. My name is Kevin Winder. I am your host. I like to serve the world as an online pastor, author, and uncoach, among many other things that I do. One of the things I love to do is help everybody rediscover the Bible, which I know <laughs> it is um, a subject that polarizes our world right now. And why? Because people assume if you read the Bible, know the Bible, talk about the Bible, that you are a religious fundamentalist. They assume that you have turned loose of science. You're a detractor. You're an anti-vaxxer. You're a Trumpster. You're whatever it is, the way this is being spun. And folks, we have to become free from all of that. And so we are beginning one of the most amazing letters in the New Testament, and that's Paul's letter to Rome. Now, uh, I know most of us don't understand it completely, uh, and that's okay because it has been really overworked in life, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But today we're going to have two introductions. I'm going to introduce the series, and then I'm going to introduce the the first part, okay? And that's going to construe our time together today. But before I get there, I really want you to join me in this endeavor. Now, you may not come from a religious perspective, and that's okay. Uh, your religious perspective may be something other than the Judeo-Christian belief system. Maybe you're Hindi, maybe you're Sikh, maybe you're Muslim. Right, it, Whatever it is, maybe you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic or this is not the type of thing you usually get into. I really want you to try and warm your hands to this fire and see what happens. Okay, It's really important because you are, no matter how you define yourself, part of Paul's intended audience. He wanted people like you to hear this when he wrote it to his most modern society of his age, Rome. And alongside of that group and the listening group today is also those people who do believe they understand the Book of Romans, those people who see themselves and define themselves as religious or devout Christians, those who have studied the Bible, understood it, take doctrine seriously, I really want you to pay attention. I want you to take me to task 
right? I am going to do an exposition of this book in a way that other expositors haven't. And I'm going to take you on a journey too, in the same way that just like you, I was on that journey. And so this is an invitation for the religious mind and the irreligious mind to come together and hear something new. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about how I do that. So let's get started. And this is the 420th podcast. So insert your favorite marijuana joke here. Um, But it's the first installment of our series entitled Rome. And I call it Freedom from Fundamentalism. And this book of Rome, uh, this book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul 25 years after Jesus was crucified. Okay, so there's still eyewitnesses about. And that's important because that's who was in this assembly in, in Rome. Now, Paul wrote this book when he was in the city of Corinth. And this is the fifth of seven of his letters that most scholars agree on. And Uh, Most of the scholars also agree that this letter, this epistle to the Romans is his opus. It's his crown jewel of his theological teaching. In other words, he talks about a lot of the stuff in this book in other books, but this one he really unpacks. And why would he? Well, of course, he's in a very modern, contemporary, educated city. So he's going to take the time to kind of unpack a lot of this stuff in a way that he wouldn't, perhaps, in a smaller place. Now, I've wanted to share this amazing book with you for a long time. And I have had a number of you request that I do an exegetical series like I have done on the book of Hebrews or the book of Galatians or some of these others that you'll have to check out my website to go see. You can go to the kevinwinder.com. You can't look up Rediscovering the Bible and you'll find a whole host of other expositions there. And so I'm going to add Romans to the list and I'm really excited to have you with me. Excuse me. So Romans is considered the go-to book for Christian doctrine. Uh, it's where we get orthodoxy, right? The right belief. Um, and it really contains a lot of weighty theological terms such as justification, righteousness, salvation, predestination, election. Um, I mean, all of these things are in this book. And despite our best efforts, Most readings of the book of Romans end up as misreadings, I believe. So without experience or tools in the original languages, when we are just left to the English translation, and if our English translation is one of the more thought-for-thought translations like the message or New Living translations compared to the more word-for-word translations that you might get in the... ESV or the New King James or something like that, which are also still not that accurate. Like if you're just left to the regular tools, you, like just like me, are going to look to the voices and opinions of the popular teachers and not necessarily those who are skilled in biblical exposition. So 
this is the biggest challenge, I think, to understanding Paul's clear doctrine and gospel. And that is viewing his teaching away from the light pollution of 2,000 years of church history. Now, if you followed me through this series where we deconstructed church and we pulled apart church history from our biblical revelation of what is the church, you'll see that this same work needs to be done when we talk about the book of Romans. I mean, seriously, folks, this book is laden with theological masterminds, big names. And we have to kind of divorce ourselves here because it does it really matter what John Calvin or John Owen or Charles Spurgeon or R.C. Sproul or, you know, John Piper or John MacArthur? Is everybody named John? Uh, or it does it really matter what the Gospel Coalition have concluded about it all? I mean, honestly, I know those are popular minds and thinkers. I think they're great scholars, researchers, preachers, and teachers, pastors. We, we would all do well to hear them. But if we are going to truly unearth the teaching in the book of Romans, does it help us to have a commentary that is built upon 2,000 years of church history? You see, it doesn't really matter what the Gospel Coalition and all these great minds have concluded about it. It doesn't matter what I've concluded about it in the end. If in the end Paul's gospel has been adapted to evangelicalism, what point does it matter? Do You see, because the trajectory of true scholarship is not to interpret this historical book in a way that is favorable to the modern frameworks of belief in terms of modern evangelical institutional Christian religion, which unfortunately is what's happening. It doesn't, it doesn't help us. So my endeavor is to set all of that aside and begin with a clean sheet, a humble spirit. I'm not dogmatic. I don't think I've got this right and all those other great minds got it wrong. That's not my, that's not my heart here. I'm trying to take a skilled mind, a skilled approach from a historical perspective and try and help us understand this letter as if we were that audience in a modern city, which very much we are. But without 2,000 years of church history, right, without all the formulations of the doctrines in the way that we've formulated them, without the Reformation, without Catholicism, without institutional power, without reading into this idea of the Roman church as a church just like our churches. See that? That's the work. Now, if we can shed all of that bulk, we can get a clear view. And that's where this discovery is really amazing. So this book is not a contest for theological prowess, it turns out. It's not even a weapon to produce blunt force trauma to Armenians as much as, much as you might want to. Uh, it has chapters and verses that are difficult, but, but they're not to be under or over interpreted. That's the thing. Like so many times we overdo these things. 
I'm going to use a putty knife and kind of pry off the barnacles from church history, and then I'm going to use a scalpel at times to precisely arrange Paul's themes as closely as I can to his intended audience, namely fundamental Jews, early Christians, and the multicultural populations that were living in Rome. It's, It's not unlike America today. And from there, we can apply these conclusions to our modern sprawling, fundamental, and evangelical landscape, which absolutely needs some deconstruction. And while this series might take many weeks, it is not going to take many years. Like There are people that have been preaching on this for years and years and years. Like John Piper has been on this one for 15 plus years. There are others that have literally spent an entire a pastoral career teaching out of this one book. Folks, this book was never intended to be wound so tight that an entire career is spent on it. Don't you think that's a misreading? Do you think Paul, when he penned these words to the church, he meant for them to deconstruct it for the next 25 years? Yes, there's great things in here. Yes, there's lots of nuances to mine the depths of it all. But we can we easily overdo it, and I want us to avoid that error. So what I've discovered and hope to share with you is that the modern evangelical gospel is too small. It's too narrow, and it has led to fundamentalism. And now we have Super Bowl commercials where Jesus gets us um, and the gospel is as differentiated as everybody's denomination. Um, There isn't a single kind of alignment around what that is. And so we look to books like this that help us uncover the gospel of Paul. But if you look at modern evangelical, the gospel that Paul typically creates in evangelicalism is not the same gospel as Jesus. It's not the same as John the Baptist, who all spoke of this ehuangelion, this this good news. And so if there's not a comporting of all of those gospels as a single gospel, and that isn't the same as what we have today, then something got jacked up. And that's why I can make this claim that evangelicals' gospel is off the rails. It's too small, narrow, and has become fundamentalized. And that's why I titled today's chapter Freedom from Fundamentalism. Like, this is the thrust of this book. It's to get us out, not put us in, as I said in the introduction. So instead of hyper-theologizing this book, we are going to deconstruct it. And hopefully from there we can experience the freedom that Paul promises. I believe you can. So in the same spirit of Paul... We all have a theology. Everybody does. But none of us have it completely right, not even myself. None of us know God as we ought. And the faith that we have is, as Paul says, between yourself and God. Now that right there is earth-shattering because most of religion is trying to get uniformity Um. And I don't think Paul is trying the same thing. 
So in our introduction today, let's review Paul's introduction. Now I'm going to take a couple broad strokes here and then I'll double click into those areas that need clarification, but I'm not going to go word for word and line for line. I don't think it's necessary. The bigger themes are more important and that's what I'm going to spend my time on. Um, so while much can be said and has been said about every verse, I, again, I'm just going to explain exposit the text theme by theme so that we can latch on to the trajectory of Paul's mind and then compare it to the experience we have and begin healing our theology and our faith and begin liberating from the overreach that fundamentalism has had in all of our lives. Now Paul's goal was to help both the religious and the irreligious to understand this gospel or message of God. And that's my goal too. But if we ask five Christians, what is the gospel? We will get six answers. The good news, which is the Greek word euangelion, means that we have conflated this gospel with conversion. A lot of people say, well, what's the go- if you're going to preach the gospel, you have to ask people to convert to the Christian religion. You have to ask them to open some imaginary door in their heart and accept Jesus in. Make him the Lord of their life. Listen, nobody makes Jesus the Lord of the life. They don't, you can't make him the Lord. He is the Lord. Like, there's certain things, like, we got to get over our cultural little frameworks, Dumbing it down and making it simple doesn't make it simple. It makes it convoluted and unbelievable. And it it lops off the ends of the gospel, making it very short. It truncates it. And so that's the first layer of the barnacles to be removed. Paul, just like Jesus' gospel, provides no recipe nor design for an alternative religion. Paul's not saying... Give up your Judaism and your every all these other beliefs and, and start joining the Christian religion. Uh, we've got uh, paid pastors and big buildings and uh, cr- cradle-to-the-grave programming that you can join and remove yourself from the city and be different and better and more superior than everybody else because you finally got it and no one else did. None of that is here. The church, the gathering or assembly, which is what ecclesia means, that gathering of people in Rome is comprised of Jews and non-Jews who are striving to, as eyewitnesses, follow Christ. They're trying to piece together what they just watched happen 25 years ago. They're talking about this thing, right? They've experienced this Holy Spirit in their midst, They've tried to put pieces together and make sense of how this relates into their world in this most advanced civilization of their time. To confuse the church in Rome with a modern denominational Christian church makes interpreting this letter difficult or impossible. And the key for us to realize is that Paul's gospel has no possible consideration of church history. It couldn't have because none of that had taken place. It pays no homage to the Reformation. Think about that. 
That's why I say, does it matter what the Gospel Coalition says about it? Does it matter what John Piper says about it? It doesn't. Because when Paul wrote it, none of this had taken place. It didn't exist. There wasn't a paid pastor in their midst. There was no organizational, doctrinal white paper. Christianity was not institutionalized as an alternative religion to everything else. Christianity was simply a a little sect of people who are striving to be Christ followers, to understand this thing that's happening. Think about this. So if you... We have to kind of avoid this tendency to eisegete, which means to read into the text our modern ecclesiology. Do you see that? We're taking our own church history and knowledge and theology and superimposing it into this letter where it never existed. So if we can scrape that off because we know it didn't exist in the mind of Paul, then we can see this perhaps fresh. And you'll discover that is what most scholars are trying to do. In verse 7, Paul says to everyone in Rome, beloved by God and called to be dedicated. So the second point I want to make out of three things on this introduction is this. The Greek translation rendered above, which I just read, to everyone in Rome, beloved by God and called to be dedicated. Like We cannot let these words be overshadowed by the doctrine of limited atonement. I mean, the text makes no such claim. Paul is writing to a church of mostly believers, but his audience is all comers, as evidenced in verse 13. Later, he's going to say, among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. The word Gentile is, is uh, ethnoi. Right, ethnic. Uh, we get athon, also kind of a derivative ver- version of this term, which means heathen. Right, so believers and non-believers. And in verse fourteen, he says, "I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians." Right, so he's he's not at all separating this out. He's saying, "Look, everybody, all to everyone in Rome." So Paul makes no distinction on who is beloved by God, right? That is a superimposition of church history, particularly uh, the Reformation doctrine of limited atonement being superimposed into the audience and therefore qualifying these statements only for those believers. And that, I think, is a misreading of this text. As I just showed, Paul is clearly saying, I am writing to everyone. We are not here to please just church fathers. You know, it's not like, oh, I got to make John Calvin happy with this. So I have to make sure when I teach Romans, it fits into the institutes of the Christian religion. You don't want to depart from the church fathers here, because if you did, then you might be misreading the text. That's actually the wrong thesis. (laughs) To read into the church fathers is to misread the text, for they didn't exist when this was written. So that's really an important piece here. 
Um, we're not to align with our favorite doctrines. We're not to pick and choose. The religious mind must widen. A good interpreter doesn't write into a wide text their own narrow perspective. We have to derive the biblical perspective from the text. And this text says all those in Rome, beloved and called. Paul will later deconstruct the tribal alliances of the religious mind. So it's best to kind of rip this band-aid off right now. The take-home application for us today is that Paul's gospel continues to be for all of us. Everyone. Pasin is the Greek word there, which means each, all, everyone, the whole, the corpus, the every. It's like all the, all the income free. In the same way, this Roman church was comprised of different religions from which Paul sought to free people. So this message does today among our pantheon of deities. Let some of this sink in, folks. I know this is just the introduction, but the theme is real. I think you can feel it. Paul's letter to the Romans had the mission of getting everyone out of religion, not putting us into one. And I can say that, one, because I've studied it and I'm going to prove it, but two, that was exactly the same mission and gospel of John the Baptist and Jesus. Lastly, as part of his introduction, Paul explains in verses 8 through 15 how he longed to go to Rome and visit this church, which scholars agree was not established by himself. He didn't establish this church. Now, he's coming as an outsider, seeking to impart a spiritual gift and strengthen them, like he says in verse 11. And he's going to later build upon that spiritual aspect of our humanity in comparison to our natural proclivities. The thrust of his introduction is that Paul was eager to preach the gospel to you also. So Paul's gospel, he was eager to share with this church. (laughs) Shouldn't they already have it? Exactly. Think about this, folks. This is a doctrine to correct theological misalignment. That's why it's theologically built. And it's here to straighten out the way we think through all of these conclusions. And if institutional religion did not exist then and he's straightening it out, he wasn't putting it in. So to conclude this introduction, let's sit with this kind of contextually, okay? Imagine for just a second you're in a community of Jewish and Gentile eyewitnesses to Jesus who find themselves in Rome, the largest, most, you know, modern city of their era. And we all kind of gather together, a very diverse group of people who were in Jerusalem at some point or had family members who were in Jerusalem at some point and witnessed all these things with Jesus. And then a former Jewish Pharisee who persecuted the early church, who hated early believers and followers of Christ. He he writes them a letter, right? (laughs) Imagine getting a letter from this guy. 
with the goal of sharing some really good news and offering a new way to live in freedom. Like, there is no church history here. Like, the theology of the day is all over the map in ancient Rome. It's just like it is today. And what will this man say to us as he writes this letter to our gathering here in our city? I mean, how would this church have received this letter? How would they have distributed it? Somebody would have given them a written letter. They would have all called everybody together. They would sit down and they would read it and it would take 20 minutes, not 20 years. So how would this group understand what he's about to say? What changes to their belief and practice would this group need to consider? Is Paul saying, I need you to establish uh, a hierarchy. Uh, I want really tall hats with Gothic emblems embroidered on them. I would like men to have power and money, Learjets, (laughs) limousines, stadiums. I want power over all the people. Is I, No, there's no possible way he's setting this up for institutional religion. You, you have to see this. And contextually, folks, we're not that different than this early community. Our theology is all over the place. Every denomination just has a different cinnamon roll recipe. Our doctrines are competitive and divisive, you know. The reformers don't like the Arminians and vice versa. Oh, you guys are mean. You guys talk like the Old Testament. You guys don't even believe in the Spirit. You guys are the frozen chosen. It's just all over the map. And they're all supposed to be Christ followers. See, our churches and leaders have social and economic power now. And they're extremely resistant to change. How do I know that? Well, I've given myself to over 20 years of church ministry. And I can tell you, in every environment I have sought change, it has been met with great resistance. And almost no change is ever made. So how will we receive these words? How would you receive Paul's words if he came today and said, holy cow, look at the state of this. It's a mess. What words would he say? I can guarantee you if Paul were alive today, the modern church would get a letter and it wouldn't be a good one. (laughs) I promise you. But how would, more importantly, all comers, pasin, how would everyone understand it because chances are only those in a Christian church are ever going to hear it. So what changes to our belief and practice do we need to consider? You know, while modern evangelical uses the letter to the Romans to indoctrinate the religious and condemn or convert the sinner, Paul has no such agenda. I just, I pray that will sit with you. And I believe if Paul's gospel were here today, it would end institutional religion, not empower it. So, may the good news 
find each of us in our place of need and lead us into a place of healing and liberation. That's my prayer for you and for this series. God bless you as you contemplate these things. Thank you.